starting with verse 10, Ephesians chapter 6, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness and the heavenly places. Now you kids might remember from VBS, that's the evil kingdom right there, right? Versus the heavenly kingdom of God. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore. Lots of, lots of stand here, huh? Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, tongue twister there, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Now we're told that our feet are to be shod. What does that mean? That's an odd word, isn't it? Now this is, this is not a word that most people in the United States use today. We don't usually say, hey, make sure you shod your feet with those shoelaces. This is a word that was used uh, in antiquity, going back, well, not antiquity like ancient antiquity, but certainly this was a term that was used further back a couple hundred years ago. This was a more normal word, but shod in the, in the Greek, hupodeo, you can say that too if you just want to say hupodeo your feet, you can do that, uh, is to bind oneself it's to bind them. You ever, um, you ever gone skiing, you have bindings, you snap the skis in, right? You bind them in, or, or if you have boots that have a lot of shoestrings, you ever taken kids put on boots for the snow season, and you have to pull all those show, uh, strings up, and you have to tie them real tight, right? That's what the Roman soldiers did with their uh, boots. Uh, they were sandals on the bottom, but they covered all the feet, and they protected the feet, and they had these leather strings that they had to tie them really tight. They had to bind them themselves. You didn't ask your captain, hey, can you tie my shoes for me? You had to do it yourself to bind oneself, to shod your own feet. God gives us what we need, but he says, now, sh- now go ahead and put it on. All the armor, if you were listening, it's uh, all the emphasis is upon us to take up the whole armor of God, for us to put on the breastplate of righteousness, for us to put on the... Uh, so God provides everything needed, but we're the ones that are supposed to put it on. Now, preparation, in the Greek, it means to prepare or readiness, uh, to be ready for something. Uh, it doesn't help you when, when disaster strikes to say, I wish we would have gone and gotten batteries. Does it? Wishful thinking doesn't help. You have to prepare and get them in advance. That's why it's called being ready, right? We have to be ready for Christ's return. There's a lot of things that we're told to be ready for, to be ready, because we don't really know the opportunities God will put in our path. As long as you're alive, God will still keep putting opportunities. But we have to prepare and be ready to use the gospel of peace. Now, you'll only prepare for things, kids, and adults, you'll really only prepare for things that are one or all of the above. 
you'll only prepare for things that are one or all the above. Number one, you'll prepare for things that you are required to do. April 15th for adults is called tax day. Most people find the time to prepare, even if it's at the very last minute, because they're required to, right? Required to. Um, Now, we are required to share the gospel. God has given us uh, through his son Jesus in Mark 16, 15, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We actually have a requirement. Many don't think they have a requirement, but they actually do. And someday we'll give an account, just like, you think giving the account the IRS is bad? Wait till you stand before God, right? We'll give an account for everything. Now, the second thing, again, one or all of these are why you prepare for anything. The second one, you'll prepare for something you truly believe when it has value. If you believe it's going to be valuable to you, you'll find the time to prepare for it, right? You'll find time to prepare. Say, I really like pancakes. You can stare at the box all day long. It will not make itself. Right? You're going to have to get the box out and dump some uh, Bisquick or whatever else in there, some eggs and stuff. You'll prepare if you think it's going to have some value to you. It's actually not good for you, but like the desserts we'll have later. But uh, they seem to have value for a moment anyway. You, you'll prepare for things you truly believe offer protection, right? If you think it really protects, you know, dads, you know, deadbolt the door before they go to bed, or they should. Go back, I go around and check all the doors, because I believe if I don't prepare these things, I want to make sure that I have protected. It takes some preparation. I can't stare at the door. It will not lock itself, Right? I've got to go and prepare these things. You'll prepare for things that you think offer protection. And lastly, you'll prepare for things you think will really be helpful. Things that you think will be helpful. Hey, if we, if we uh, prepare and, and uh, build this, it will be helpful. We put a shed in the backyard or, you know, whatever. Uh, I don't have a shed, but if those of you did, this is going to be helpful. This is going to be something that's going to make it easy for us to maintain something. It's going to be helpful for us uh, to prepare whatever it may be. If you're going on a camping trip, this is going to be helpful in the night that I don't want to run all the way to the public bathrooms, right? That will be helpful. I know in my family that would be true. Seat belts are a good example of something that actually fits all these descriptions, right? Seat belt, you're required to put it on. It's the law. You're required to put on a seat belt. If you love other people and they get in your car and they don't wear a seatbelt, you would probably want to tell, hey, please put your seatbelt on, especially if they're children. I can't make adults do what they should do. I wish I could. That's, as a pastor, that would be really helpful. But, um, uh, but I can't make adults do what they should do, but it, I can usually with kids, hey, you've got to put the seatbelt on. It's the law, and it will protect you. It's valuable. Your body's va- we think your body's valuable. God thinks your body's valuable, right? And it will have benefit to you. It's better than flying you know, 50 miles an hour through the car up into the windshield. All of those things, a seatbelt's a good example of that. Now, I brought with me um, a, even a better illustration of shotting our feet and why it's important. I have here, you kids are going to like this, you guys know what these are? 
flip-flops. How about what these are? Not just tennis shoes. These are the cleats I scored two touchdowns <laughs> against Calvary Chapel of uh, Lynchburg. I hope Pastor Troy doesn't hear this. When I had to catch a missile from a certain assistant pastor and juke past their slow and out of shape and, uh, you know, different, I think I've just delayed any healing I've been asking for in my body. Uh, but. But these two things right here, these not-so-clean cleats that uh, I haven't used in a while because uh, my back wouldn't let me play football right now, even if I wanted to. But you got flip-flops and cleats here, right? Now, how, do, how many of you kids ever seen a football game? You know I like football. Football season's right around the corner. Now, if some of you went to the Redskins training camp, too, I, I, I've seen some of your pictures. Now, if the coach asks you, coach comes over to you and says, all right, get on the field and run a play, and you're wearing these instead of these, that's not going to do, do too well, is it? You're to shot your feet. Now, by the way, flip-flops, they don't have any shoestrings. These do. These, you have to tie them real tight. Uh, if you're really old, you put on ankle support with these, but they have kind of partial ankle support to begin with, but you tie them real tight. And you put these on. Now, flip-flops, they make your feet feel nice and comfortable, kind of cool. But they're not good for football, folks. We taught, one time we had a practice for our team, and um, we had a guy who will remain nameless that decided to show up in the practice in slick-bottom boat shoes. I kid you not. Randy, do you remember that? Showed up in, like, you know those, um, those bass bro boat shoes? No tread whatsoever. It had rained the night before. I do a passing route. Guess what happened to him? You ever seen a banana peel? <laughs> I didn't even hardly make much of a move. He was flat on his back. Flip-flops are even worse than boat shoes. Uh, Slick-bottom boat shoes, that's even worse. Now, flip-flops are okay. If you ever go to, you ever see college football or NFL players, they'll walk around the locker room in these. Flip-flops. They don't play on the field in them, though, do they? The, yeah, if you go into a locker room, which hopefully you, you kids will never have to do that, but um, you'll see that flip-flops are okay for the locker room, but they're not so okay for getting on the field. Once they're going to go play, they're not leaving flip-flops on. They're going to put on these cleats. Now, flip-flops are also okay for fans in the stand. Why? They're not in the game. They don't need flip-flop. I mean, they don't need cleats. Matter of fact, cleats wouldn't necessarily be a good thing stepping on other fans' toes, would they? The fans, they're not going to wear flip-flops. Uh, flip are just fine for them. They're not in the game. And in the Christian life or the metaphor, they're not in the battle, are they? Flip-flops will never do on the field. Now, if you understand football when the ball is high, especially if you're an offensive lineman, where already your own weight takes you backwards, especially when you're like a 350-pound guy, right? They stand up, and their own weight falls back on their heels. Now, cleats actually dig into the ground, right? They dig into the ground, and they set their weight, and they have to set their weight to stop someone from coming on. Try doing that with flip-flops, 
against a 280-pound guy who's been working out a lot. You're going backwards real quick. Verses 11, verses, uh, verses, look in verse 11, it says, we're to stand. Verse 13, we're to withstand. Withstand is like an offensive lineman. Withstanding is you actually have someone coming against you. That's Satan. That's this world. That is the fear of man. All those things come against us. We're to withstand that. And verse 13 says stand again. Then 14 says stand. Stand, stand, stand. Three times says stand. And one time withstand. It doesn't say lay down and wear flip-flops. It says shod your feet with the kind of footwear that Roman soldiers wore. Now their, their, uh, their footwear, the Roman soldiers, their sandals were often fitted with nails and armed with spikes that drove down into the ground. Sounds just like cleats, doesn't it? You ever seen golf spikes? They, did, they would drive, they had all these nails on the bottom of their, of their sandals that were tied, so they had these spikes that would actually track, give them traction. It's the same exact principle. They needed to be able to plant into the ground. Now, I think many in the body of Christ, I think many people in the body of Christ, they're walking around, I make that usually sitting, not walking around, a lot of times just sitting around with a flip-flop version of the gospel. Flip-flop version. Not the cleats version, not the Roman soldier version. Instead of, instead of their feet shod with the gospel of P-E-A-C-E, peace. Instead, they have a little P-E, they have a little piece of the gospel. Right? A little piece of the gospel. I forgot how to spell peace for a moment. That's okay. I before E except after C. I know, I know. That's what happens when you've been using spell check forever. You know, just... But instead of the gospel of peace, the peace that Jesus gives, they carry on a little piece of the gospel. Instead of being on the field with their feet shod with the gospel of uh, peace, do you realize how many Christians are not even on the field? They're in the stands. Or they're back in the locker room still with a towel on, walking around with flip-flops. The shoes are in the locker right there. The cleats have been put out by the equipment manager. They're not putting them on. They're not interested in putting them on. They don't want to put them on. They would rather sit there and watch some other team play than actually get on the field and play themselves. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying through the Holy Spirit to put on, to shod your feet. He's not saying you you should think about it. He's not saying, well, maybe if you really want to do it. He's not saying, well, if somebody really talks you into it, he's saying do it because God said to do it. You don't really need me to tell you to do it. God tells us to do it. And our purpose preparation, two things we want to look at under preparation really quickly. Our purpose, our on purpose for you kids, if you're not used to using the word purpose, our on purpose preparation requires two things, an appreciation of the gospel and an application of the gospel. You kids know what it means to appreciate something? You ever said thank you for a gift you've been given? You know, salvation's a really good gift. It's the greatest gift in the universe by a trillion, zillion, billion. If you've been watching AT&T commercials, you know what I'm talking about, times. It's infinity plus of all the gifts is salvation. 
You have to have an appreciation for it, and then you have to have an application. You have to apply the gospel in your life. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. The ladies have been in Colossians. Colossians 1.13, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. You kids were in VBS, you learned about the evil kingdom. God takes all those that call upon the name of Jesus out of a road to hell, out of the evil place of the sin in this world, and into His own kingdom, the Son of His love. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? To give thanks, to be appreciative that Jesus has rescued us from darkness into His own love. Ephesians 1.7 says, In Him we have the redemption through His blood, through His shed blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. You know, if Jesus didn't shed His blood, you could never be forgiven of sin. That's another thing to be appreciative of, of the Gospel, right? How about this? Paul said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Paul said, I appreciate the gospel because I know it's the only thing powerful enough to save men's soul. Not the writings of his day. He could have talked to him about the writings of Plato, right? Or Aristotle. Or all the wise people and sages that had... But none of those people could help a person come from darkness, come from sin, come from hell, into eternal life. Paul said only the power of the gospel is helpful for, and he says, for the Jew and the Greek. The Greeks were really learned. The Jews were really learned in the law, and the Greeks were really learned in philosophy. But philosophy and the law can't save us, can they? There's a lot of smart people at Harvard that are into philosophy. There's a lot of really dedicated Orthodox Jews that are into the law, but neither of those things can save Paul said only the power of the gospel. He had an appreciation for it and a great belief in it. Back when Jesus, before he, uh, before he had even grown to be a man, he was just uh, being born that uh, time in Bethlehem. Back in Luke 2.14, it said, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. The angels had an appreciation for the gospel, didn't they? They said, you people on earth have no idea how good this news is. And really, many people on earth still have no idea how good this news is. Isn't that true? The angels knew it, didn't they? The wise men knew it, didn't they? The shepherds came to believe it, but do you believe it? Do we have an appreciation for it? You will not apply it if you don't appreciate it. I promise you, you will not apply anything in your life that you don't appreciate, unless you're absolutely forced to, right? That's like when we go to the Bonaire uh, Youth, Out, Youth Detention Center, there's certain things the kids there do there, but not because they want to. They've now been forced to, right? We have an opportunity to appreciate it now. Now, the application, application, that's important. What we prepare, what we appreciate. How many of you kids think your parents appreciate you? They're glad to have you. you know, I, saw, I, saw some adult, I saw some adults raise their hand. They still think their parents appreciate them. Amazing. They do, well, maybe they do. Now, if your parents appreciate you, how many of them have ever prepared for you kids to have a birthday? 
They've prepared for your birthday. Why? They think it's important. Yeah. They've prepared for your birthday. Now, you wouldn't really like it if they said, well, we, we gave a lot of thought to your birthday. We thought of everything we were doing. We just didn't do it. We thought about getting you some ice cream, but we didn't go. We thought about making you cake, but we didn't. We thought about buying you presents, but we didn't. We thought about inviting people, but we didn't. This is what a lot of Christians tell God. I thought about it, God, but I didn't. I thought about it, but I don't want to. I thought about it, but I can't. I thought about it, but I don't have time. I thought about it, but I'm afraid of everybody. So I didn't. And Jesus tells a parable similar to that, right? One man, he does all that. He said, I knew you were a wicked and austere man. Not a wicked man. I knew you were an austere man, so I hid my little... And God says, I told you to apply it, to use it. That's application. Application is to know all the stuff, have an appreciation for it, Say, this is the right, I wa- I, not only do I want to have a birthday for my kids, I'm actually going to have a birthday for them. I'm going to buy the stuff, I'm going to prepare, I'm going to get up early, I'm going to put up streamers, I'm going to do all this stuff. We're not only going to think about doing it, we're actually going to do it. Because we think it's right to do, we think it's valuable to do, and we're going to follow through. We apply this in our life. Romans 10, 15, it says, As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. It doesn't say how beautiful are the feet of those who think about the gospel and hope that somebody else sends it. It says the feet that God thinks are beautiful are the ones that are shot, they've taken the flip-flops off, they've put, in the, they've put the cleats on, and they actually walk onto the field and do what God has asked to do. God says those feet are beautiful because they've not only appreciated, but they've applied and they're going to do. When I was in the business world, we had a, we had a C, uh, COO who came to us from Walmart. Always a mistake. I'm sorry. I'm just kidding, Randy. Uh, he had come to us from Walmart, and one of the first things he installed was that every kind of business initiative, we had to have a go-do. And you couldn't just say you were going to go-do. You actually had to go-do. This is what God also wants us to do, is to not only think about it, apply the feet, apply the feet with the gospel, lace it up, and go out there. Now, we'll close with the proclamation. That was the preparation. How about the proclamation? We're to take the gospel of peace. How and what are we to do with the gospel? How and what are we to do? And what does God mean by the gospel of peace? Because there's a couple of references in the New Testament. There's the gospel of the kingdom, right? There's the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? There's these different references of the gospel. Well, there's only one gospel. All those things all speak to the same gospel. It's just a different way of describing the same thing. It all is the same gospel. But what is emphasized here is what it means for mankind. Remember the angels? Peace on earth, goodwill towards men, right? The gospel of peace is what it means to mankind is that we can have peace with God finally. Because until you're saved, you don't have peace with God. You're the enemy of God. Now first, first and foremost, we're almost done, kids. First and foremost, we must live out the gospel in our lives and through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
We must live out the gospel in our lives and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Philippians 1.27 says, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That our conduct's to be worthy of the gospel. You know a lot of people's conduct is not worthy of the gospel? People that call themselves Christians and even their coworkers say, if that's a Christian, I don't want anything part of this. I've had people tell me this dozens and dozens and dozens of times. And the rest of us in the body of Christ who aren't perfect ourselves still have to overcome their reasonable objection. In a sense, it's reasonable because they've run into too many people that said, I'm a Christian, and then they see the person says they're a Christian cusses more than they do, is unkind to the waitress, is unthankful, gossips about the boss, all these different things. That's not conduct that mirrors the gospel. That is conduct that's opposite of the gospel. In other words, those of us who are going to share the gospel, we must be Christ-like. You kids know that Christian, it means little Christ. Christian, that's why the early church, they started to call him little Christ because they said, these people actually act like their master. Today, many people don't act like the master. And so we're to be first and foremost living out the gospel like Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. Colossians 2.6 says, As you therefore have received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk in Him. There's those same feet again. They're walking in Christ with the gospel always on their feet. Wherever I go, my feet tend to go with me. How about you? That's pretty good. You don't want to leave a foot behind, do you, kids? Whenever you go somewhere, matter of fact, if a flip-flop falls off, I usually go back and pick it back up and put it back on. How about you? No, you leave yours. That's okay. You can leave it everywhere you want. I've found an extra flip-flop here before, so I know that somebody does do that. They're really small usually. But as we've received Christ, we're to walk in. What does that mean? We're to walk in two things. We're to walk in truth and we're to walk in love. Truth and love. You've got a big problem if you don't have love and you've got a big problem if you don't have truth. Right? As I told last week, if you have truth without love, you have hypocrisy. I mean, you have legalism and, and then if you have um, love without truth, you've got just anything goes. Right? That's not good. We have to have love and truth. We walk in Christ. Now, Galatians 5.25 says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. The Spirit is the one that makes the gospel alive. Now, the gospel is alive already because all the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, but the Holy Spirit makes us vehicles of like a lightning rod, right? We become like a lightning rod. That The lightning goes through us and trans, we use, we're like a transformer. It comes out the other end. And so we want to we walk in the Spirit. The gospel, I think of it, is quickened by the Spirit. Now the gospel can be used without us, but God chooses to use us, and therefore this is why Paul's saying, you've got to shod your feet. You've got to go walk in this. Second, uh, we're, to, uh, we're to seek, we're to seek to actively present, did you hear that? We're to seek to actively present the gospel. You actually have to, you know, Christians think about almost anything except for preaching the gospel today. Did you know that? Most Christians will give way more thought and attention to an upcoming vacation than they ever, ever will about how am I going to reach this city for Christ. They'll give more attention to preparing for 
a cookout. They'll give more attention to a football game. And God says, how much attention have you given to how you're going to reach your neighbors, how you're going to reach your cousins, how you're going to reach your coworkers? Now, some of it is just a lot of prayer. But that's not all it is. You still got to open your mouth at some point. You still have to invite people. You still have to do these things. We have to actively present the gospel, the whole gospel, the whole gospel, not that little piece, not the flip-flop piece, the whole gospel, and we present to people the peace we have found. The gospel of peace. Paul would tell his own testimony in the book of Acts three times. The road to Damascus is in there. Second most only to the Passion Week of Christ is Paul's personal testimony. You know, Paul would tell it again and again and again. Why? Because he would say, I used to not have peace with God. Now I have peace with God. He would actively speak it. And Christ and the Lord offers to anyone who's willing to repent and believe this kind of peace. Now, I was listening to Dr. Hertz today. How many heard Dr. Hertz when he was here? Uh, I was listening to him today. I, I finally got a chance to listen to his message. And he said uh, on his message, it, I was right in the middle of uh, just thinking about some of these things as well. And he said, we cannot be slack in sharing the gospel. He said, we can't be slack. You know, Dr. Hertz is in New York City this week, all this week, he's been on the streets of New York witnessing. I've been texting him back and forth, praying for him, letting him know that other people are praying for him. They've had people that they've had some phenomenal opportunities to share Christ. I haven't yet heard the reports on how many have come to Christ and gotten saved, but tremendous opportunities. I shared with him that after our service Sunday, we had a, a woman, I'm guessing her 70s, come up after the service, and I got to lead her to Christ after the service. You guys had all gone. There was hardly anyone left in the building. And she came to Christ. But even there, you have to, even when you're in a, a safe place, you have to throw a lifeline. You have to ask people if they want to give their lives to Jesus. We have to go and, and say these things. Um, it must be. The gospel must be on our feet. But metaphorically, it means it's on our lips. It's on our lips. I actually um, I have found that uh, you know, many times we miss so many opportunities to share Christ with people because our mind is thinking about everything else. We haven't shod our feet with the gospel of peace. We've shod them with other things, right? We've shod them with things that are not important. And God says, the beautiful feet are those that are constantly looking for Jesus. You know what his whole mission was? He said it came to seek and save those who were lost. And he told a parable of people that were invited to a feast, and they were invited to a feast, and a bunch of people said, I don't want time for that. I got something better to do. Uh, I got fields to mow. I got to do this, do that. And he said, all right, then go out in the highway to the hedge and invite all the people who don't have all that cool stuff to do and invite them. And sometimes, of course, that's where we go to like place like Bonaire and some of you go out to the homeless. A lot of times, yeah, some people aren't interested, but we still have to continue. You don't know who's interested. I don't know who's interested. Some people will really surprise us. It's on our lips. We must share it. Now, what is the whole gospel? And the gospel of peace. What do I mean by that? The whole gospel and the gospel of peace, kind of putting those two terms together, the whole gospel or the gospel of peace. In 2 Timothy 1.10, it says, Our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality through the gospel. The whole gospel is that 
man is born a sinner, right? Is on his way to hell, already condemned already according to Jesus. Already condemned already. That's kind of redundant, I know. Condemned already. And on his way to hell, and that only God himself could reach down with a perfect sacrifice and offer atonement and forgiveness for our sins. But not only that, that that atoning blood had to not only be shed, but Jesus has to raise from the dead the whole gospel. I tweeted out earlier today a quote from J. Vernon McGee. Some of you may have seen it. There's not a, he said, there's not a single sermon in Acts that doesn't mention the resurrection. Until that is preached, the gospel has not been preached. That you tell people the whole God. You don't, you don't always get a chance to tell every single piece. I get that. But the practice of our life is telling the whole gospel. When I get an opportunity to talk to someone and say, well, do you believe that you're a sinner? Do you believe that Jesus came to die for your sin? Do you believe he died? Do you believe he rose on the third day? I believe all that, but I don't believe he rose from the dead. Then you can't be saved. It is based on, well, I can believe that I'm a sinner, but I won't believe he rose from the dead. Then you can't be saved. You have to believe on all of the gospel. The gospel is actually a Greek word. I'll probably mess it up, so I'm going to skip it. It means sometimes I put out the enunciation. I didn't do it on this one. It means good news. That you guys have heard that, right? It means good news. Good news. Our pastor in Charlotte used to always say that you can't know how good the good news is until you first know how bad the bad news is. Part of the presentation of the gospel is people have to know what they're being saved from. They're not being saved from, well, if you get saved, you go from a minimum wage job to a six-figure income. That's kind of how it works. Do you know there's some preaching on TV that's kind of like that? That when you get saved, you get to go from minimum wage to mansion. And God says, no, no, you'll get a mansion. You may not have any change in pay. Your mansion will be in heaven. Jesus said, lay up for yourself in heaven where moth and rust and all that stuff doesn't corrupt. So the good news is that Jesus will take us from eternity in hell with his death and resurrection. Because it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 10, and 11, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done whether good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We have to, you know, to persuade men, you have to speak. Right? Well, that's for lawyers. Yeah, well, they're defending something that's not all that important a lot of times. Sometimes it is, but we're defending the gospel. Defenders of the gospel. Those that share the gospel. You know, we haven't been hired, this is for the adults, we haven't been hired for a job by God. Rather, we've been adopted into his family and given responsibility. We're not hired for a job. Jesus doesn't like the term hirelings. I am not a hireling. If you want a hireling, you can go find them. There's lots of them out there, but you're going to have to pay them more. Hirelings want more money. They're not interested in anything else. We're not hirelings. We're not paid. We are adopted. Amen? We're adopted into the kingdom of God. And then God says, I bought you some shoes. Put them on. Go out in the garden and start working on the vineyard until I get back. That's what God does. We're not hired. We're actually part of the family. We get to put the big corn on the table and have a big family meal together. You know? Afterwards, it'll be chocolate chip cookies. But similar concept. 
but we haven't been, we've not been hired. We've been adopted into the family of God. We have a ministry. How about this? And I want to close with this. This is really good stuff for all of us. We have a ministry of representing Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Jesus has given you the ministry of representing him. Representing him. This is what he says, 2 Corinthians 5.18. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That's why it's called the gospel of peace, because you're telling someone how they can be reconciled. They don't think, they're, they, don't think they have an issue. So no, 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 you, you, you right now have a big gap between you and God, and if you die with this gap, you'll spend eternity in hell. But guess what? Jesus laid the cross over that gap. You've seen that picture before, right? Where the cross bridges the two gap. And all we're here is to tell you, this is how you can be reconciled. God will give you peace with him. We are ministers of reconciliation. And as Jesus gave in Acts 1.8, you'll receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you to be witnesses for me. We've been given his power. We've been given his witness. We've been given the gospel. The question is, are we going to, kids, take off flip-flops and put on the shoe wear to get in the game? Or are we just going to sit in the stands and say, no, I'll watch other people do it? That's what it comes down to. That's our, now, we know what God is not asking us to do. He's telling us to do. That's what good dads say sometimes. They say, I'm not asking you. I'm telling you. This is what a good... Do you think God is a good heavenly father? He's not asking you this. He's telling you. And if we don't do it, we are in direct disobedience, aren't we?